I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello? Hello? Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace a podcast that highlights the role of women peacebuilders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to their communities. Eavesdrop into their conversations and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and their hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, and Dina Zaman, a Malaysian journalist and co-founder of Iman Research. This is She Talks Peace. Hi everybody, my name is Ayesa Abubakar. I'm based here in Kota Kinabalu, Sabah, Malaysia. And today, um, I'm doing this interview So, unfortunately, Amina uh, cannot join us for this episode, uh, but hopefully the next episode, she will definitely be here. For now, Amina is joining a conference, in a ver- this very interesting conference in Singapore organized by the Nanyang Technology uh, University. Uh, it's all about uh, religion and ethnicity and identities, you know, how Singapore has been very successful in trying to create, you know, a better social cohesion among a very diverse people in uh, Singapore. So hopefully in the next episode, Amina will tell us a lot about her conversations with many people from Asia about the experience in Singapore. Okay, so I'm not going to introduce uh, Mosarat Kadim because it's actually the first time I'm meeting her, but I'm very excited, you know, knowing from Amina, who's who, uh, and she is good friends with Amina. They've been together, you know, in many of these networks, peace networks, you know, all over the world. So I'm really looking forward to talk to Mosarat and to get to know her more and about her work in Pakistan, especially that This week, you know, we've all been reading about what's happening in Pakistan with the flooding. You know, definitely it is one of the result of climate change that we've been experiencing everywhere in the world. So unfortunately, you know, our brothers and sisters in Pakistan are going through a difficult experience, you know, uh, this week. You know, hopefully more in, uh, more of the international community and all of us ordinary people can also extend our help, you know, to our friends in Pakistan. So, Musarat Kadim, welcome to She Talks Peace. Thank you. Musarat, maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about yourself and maybe how did you meet Amina? I'm sure that's an interesting story. Sure. Uh... I actually, uh, by profile, uh, I was, I started my career as a university professor in Peshawar University uh, and taught political science and gender studies for almost 13 years. And then I resigned and established my own organization, which is called Paman Trust. And Paman Trust is basically uh, a sort of 
the it, it was because we were working with the women who uh, on building their capacity as political leaders and then when uh, we all came together we realized that we really need a platform from where we can all work together and that's why we established paiman paiman means promise and we promised that we will be working together for the impoverished community particularly women and youth and from, from that time onwards that were 2004 8th march 2004 we continued our journey together and we are all working together for the emancipation of the most impoverished and the downtrodden people particularly the marginalized one the transgender and the women and youth uh, in pakistan so musarat uh, paiman is that a pakistani word is that uh, in your language the word paiman is that uh, a word in your language or is that an acronym the word paiman okay paiman means promise in in my own language pashto urdu and I farsi see. that is persian and uh, okay. it's like uh, and it is an acronym as well but we use it as only as a promise that is paiman okay well, that's a beautiful word then and then you were saying about how you met amina yes that's what i was saying when actually uh, i have uh, been working in the field of conflict transformation transformation and peace peace building since uh, i think uh, since i started teaching uh, the same uh, subject in the university long time back that is in 1990s and then when uh, we were working on prevention of violent extremism interfaith and intrafaith harmony i met of course sanam long time ago it's almost a story of two decades now and when sanam uh, is from i can of course i can founder i can executive director Uh, she is she is a good friend and we all thought of bringing a group of uh, 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 developing a platform where uh, the people from the south particularly the women like you know from the south who are working on peace can come together and that's why wassel was formed wassel was established and of course it was through wassel that i met amena for the first time and knowing her i think it's a blessing Okay. <laughs> yeah, we definitely miss Amina today. Yeah, it's good to know that you've been teaching conflict transformation and peace building for a long time. It's actually, you know, a field also that I'm uh, learning more and and I'm also been teaching, you know, about uh, conflict transformation and peace building. So, um I wonder how is it, you know, that you can explain uh, conflict transformation in the case of Pakistan? knowing especially that pakistan's conflict armed conflict cases are very very uh, complex okay and then uh, there are all a mix of different issues not only political but also the dynamics of all the different ethnic groups now so how do you look at conflict transformation in the pakistan case actually when we talk about conflict transformation in the case in the context of pakistan i am referring to a particular situation where violent extremism brought like you know hell to one of the regions of pakistan that i belong to and that is khyber okay. pakhtunkhwa so when i used to teach conflict transformation that was very theoretical theoretical mm-hmm. in the same, in the sense that we had like you know the actual conflict uh, or a long time like you know protracted conflict with india but the type of conflict that i am referring to now is what has been happening in pakistan for almost two decades uh we have been affected by the 
by the scourge of violent extremism and it has like you know deteriorated not only our social fabric but affected everyone in the country economically and psychologically also mentally also so that's what the type of conflict that we are uh, experiencing on daily basis in our lives because nobody calls violent extremism like you know a conflict but violent extremism creates a situation which is a conflict like and because there is almost uncertainty there is always fear and of course one of the characteristic of conflict is uncertainty and fear and this is what had been like you know experienced by the people of pakistan for almost two decades now and i am sure the people who live in the conflict areas they they were definitely second in my opinion on this so i have been actually yeah. trying to uh, address the issues of violent extremism especially uh, in the area which was uh, which bordered of borders afghanistan it is called khyber pakhtunkhwa and it's the northwest part of pakistan it was uh, sort of the extremist groups were became very active in those areas and they started radicalizing the youth they started like you know the bomb blast on daily basis that we witnessed on daily basis in the public places in the mosque in the schools and of course you must have heard about the the very uh, famous episode and incident um, unfortunate incident of that uh, army public school in december 2014 yes. so naturally we had already started working on the prevention of violent extremism because um, it is i say it's a disease like you know you you have to cure it you have to prevent it from like you know uh, happening but then it had already happened so when it had happened you really need to counter it you really need to address it through different economies and this is what we have been doing so far yeah i'm so glad to hear this dynamics from you musarat because you know being part of the peace building community and in a conflict transformation scholarship yeah we are always in loggerheads with you know with the nation state or the state centric security studies uh, um, scholars you know for them you know you have violent extremism and then it needs to be resolved you know by the state centric uh approach you know and which is really uh making use of military uh enforcement you know but at the same time coming from the peace building paradigm as you said we look at it as a conflict issue and then there's an opportunity for conflict transformation because after all when you res- when the state makes use of its uh, state centric approach you know it is not a guarantee that the relationships will continue will not continue or the ideology itself will not continue so that's why for us you know doing conflict transformation and peace building we, we this is really a field that we continue to promote you know especially to to state actors hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. 
Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Uh, going back, Masarat, to your Paiman Trust uh, Foundation, you know, I'm, I'm really interested. How are you able um, to maintain or to sustain the kind of work that you do? Especially, as you mentioned, this is really an effort by the women in, in Pakistan. And uh, I, I, I assume that this is also supported by other women like Wasil, by Sanan, and um, uh, uh, the group where Sanan and Amina are also involved in. We know very well that it's not easy for women like us to be doing our own NGOs and other organizations. So how is the experience of Paiman? Oh, um, I think like, you know, um, for some time when violent extremism, uh, like, you know, like I said, we have been addressing the issue of violent extremism uh, and can claim that Pakistan and, and Paiman is a pioneer. Uh, in preventing violent extremism and addressing it at different levels, right from like you know the grassroots level up to the mid level in the in the country, and engaging not only the women but the communities. So I can claim that we started as a whole of community approach that was later on adopted by uh, the United States uh, later on in 2011 and and 10, but we started it in 2007. It was not an easy, of course, uh, task in the first place. Violent extremism as such was not yet defined at that time when we started this work. So that's why we started calling it a conflict transformation and peace building. So first we really had to like, you know, struggle with bringing this into the minds of the people there, this issue exists. Violent extremism, you really need to recognize because nobody would, recognize that yes suicidal attack is like leading to more violence like you know uh, radicalization of the youth is going to create more chaos so we really had to sensitize not only the policy makers but also the you recognize the signs of violent extremism so when you understand what are the signs of violent extremism in an individual and in the community then you can develop and devise the strategy to address it and that was like you know our task so we not only identified, like, you know, the, I mean, gave the orientation on the science, but also helped uh, women and youth to respond to the situation collectively and address that issues, not only at home, but in the communities and at the city's level as well. So that is our contribution to building uh, social cohesion within the communities which were disrupted by by violent extremism, by violence, by um, a lot of dissension and fragmentation. So we had to like, you know, come up with the structure because you cannot address or you cannot respond to violent extremism as, as an individual sort of voice. You have to have a platform from which you can work together. And that's why we established an internal community peace structure. We call it Tolana. Tolana is basically again a Pashto word which means together. We could not call it like you know a peace structure or a peace group because of the situation. So we had to be very careful in using the words that can attract like you know unnecessary attention of those who, like the violent uh, extremist groups in, um, uh, in in those communities. 
So we had to be very careful. And that's why we came up with Tolana. And Tolana, alhamdulillah, for the last 12 years, Tolana is not only creating like, you know, awareness on the issue of violent extremism, addressing it effectively, but it is the one who actually is the eyes and ears of the communities and link like, you know, the community issues with the policy makers at the district level and at the, at the provincial level. So they do a lot of advocacy also. They also do a lot of capacity building of other women. They also provide like, you know, uh, so, a sort of uh, training uh, on vocational, uh, vocational training to youth. As we have integrated the prevention of violent extremism, peace building, and the whole WPS agenda into economic empowerment of women. And so, and I would, here now I would say that thanks to Sanam and ICANN for providing us with the continuous funding for at least three years, where we were able to strengthen and expand Tolana in one of the districts. And, and today we can claim that like, you know, these were the women who responded immediately to COVID when it, when it started in my area. They had to counter the propaganda that was carried out by the extremist groups um, and they wanted to make their inroads to do sort of propaganda. Our women Tolana and the youth Tolana, they came forward, they responded, they developed their own alternate narratives to the extremist narratives in the context of COVID that it has been sent by Allah and you just cannot help it and mm -hmm. you don't have to take the, <laughs> the medicine and stuff like that, you know, the usual uh, sort of uh, propaganda that they carry out from time to time. So they responded very well. They created, they come up with very came up with very innovative solutions to creating awareness because you could not meet the people on uh, in the communities. So we have like you know in the villages the roofs are very close to each other. They use the rooftops and use the mics to create awareness. And they showed they came up with big banners that we developed from for them sort of like, you know, talking about what is COVID, what are the signs of it, how you have to respond mm -hmm. to it. So these were okay. the, the women uh, as first respondents to COVID-19. And I think that was, that that's like, you know, a lessons learned, that's a role, that, that's a sort of like, you know, a best practice that we can share with anyone. Okay. So, Musarat, in your Tolana program with the young people, uh, are there uh, equally... Um, more uh, are there equal participation from both the the boys and the girls, or were there more girls that were uh, accepting, you know, of this uh, advocacy work with Tulana? Actually, Tolana, um, we have the women Tolana and we have the youth Tolana, and in the okay. youth Tolana, fifty percent of the like you know the youth Tolana are girls and fifty percent boys. In the women Tolana, again, we have the mix of both the women and the girls together because we believe in the intergenerational sort of sharing and, you know, mentoring the, the younger uh, peace builders. And that's what actually the platform is for. That way, because yeah. we have very experienced peace builders in, the, in Tolana and they share their experiences, boy or girl. And that's why youth and women Tolana, they work together. Okay. How were the dynamics between boys and girls? in peace building are you able to observe that of course because you know we we really put them into into groups so and we give them the action plans they work together they go to the communities together 
and they try to because you know they are they are more conscious that they and they need that recognition that yes they are the leaders that yeah, they are doing something for the communities so and they, and they actually you know uh, they are very good volunteers because we uh, we believe that they really need to w work in the community and and learn learn by doing the things and experience it and then like you know can uh, can really become the leaders and uh, so they are very uh, they are very enthusiastic i would say uh, volunteer their their time and uh, they they work in the communities uh, they they have got a, a good recognition for for their work and the community always like you know look towards them whenever there is a crisis situation like the recent uh, of course i mean the current uh, flood uh, situation in my in my area in particular now let us go to the flood uh, situation that you uh, have in your area musarat maybe you can share with us what's actually happening and uh, whether uh, there are more uh, international community uh, arriving in pakistan that are helping out okay uh, that's a very good question yes um, <laughs> i'm sure like you know uh, what the situation uh, and let me give a little bit of like you know um, um, situation um, the current situation uh, in Pakistan. Uh, right now, um, more than a third of the country has been completely submerged by the heaviest recorded monsoon rains in a decade, and these devastating floods uh, have uh, affected more than 33 million people, destroyed buildings, bridges, and roads. And leaving like you know, uh, fifteen hundred uh, dead, sixteen hundred more than uh, I think now eighteen hundred injured. In this situation, when the of course the government uh, uh, requested the international community for for the support and respond, it was not the way it should have come. It's a very uh, lukewarm response from the international. Thanks to some of the countries who already have given us, like you know, friendly countries, but those developed countries, because of whom we are facing this, I would say, destruction and devastation and this climate change, they have a responsibility as the developed countries bringing havoc to the third world countries because of of their industrialization, because of their policies. Here, Pakistan is not like, you know, emitting the type of carbon and like, you know, polluting the uh, atmosphere as they are. So they should actually, you know, so their, I think, responsibility was, was quite, uh, I think, slow. And, and then on top of that, UN, which is supposed okay. to be actually responding to such situation, UN uh, is UN General Secretary after weeks of destruction and like you know the the the, the injured people and the displacement of people and the the, the people who who people like you know the, the this whole uh, disaster came up with an appeal. Now I am asking this question from the UN: Doesn't it have emergency fund for situation like this? Can't actually you know it. It like you know channel this fund to the emergency situation immediately within 24 hours. Is it supposed to come when the people have already died, when the people have already faced the calamity, like you know, and 
like being displaced. So are they supposed to come to us when we have already like experienced a havoc? So that's my question to the international community and particularly the UN, which is supposed to be responding immediately to any emergency because it is their responsibility. And we look towards the UN for any support every time when we are hit by disaster and calamity. So that's actually, you know, I think my ask from UN and from the international. Yes, within Pakistan, I would say we are a, we are a resilient nation. We always stand up to any uh, situation, whether it is a man-infected disaster or a natural disaster. So thanks to, I think, the, uh, the, to the provincial governments, and particularly I'm talking about my own uh, province where the district management, uh, the district like, you know, ma management authorities, mm, the district administration, before, uh, uh, like, you know, they gave a forewarning, uh, forewarn they forewarned the people uh, in advance, uh, the, the district, uh, I would say, officer, she went, to every home and ask them to leave the home because the flood is coming. So I think that sort of uh, uh, management of the situation by the districts is hats off to them. And then they established already, like, you know, before the flood uh, hit the area, they already had come up with the tent cities. They, they already had a plan for the food and the ration and everything. But I would just say when it comes to Paiman, Paiman's women tolana, they responded immediately. We already had given them, like, you know, the list of the things that they need to do. We already knew the flood will be hitting, like, you know, our area. So we already had given them a list of things to tell the people when they are leaving the houses, what should they be taking with them, especially their documents and, of course, the necessary medicine and essential food items and the dry. We already had told them to collect, like, you know, the dry, uh, the dry food uh, and keep it, like, you know, uh, and store them in their houses. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, definitely, Mosarat, for many of our countries, you know, we do have that resilience, you know, and, and most of all the work of the NGO, the civil society community in Pakistan, in Philippines and everywhere, uh, you know, we, we are able to overcome a lot of these struggles. But it's also very important to remind the international community and to ask these difficult questions. Where is the international community? We cannot help it that, you know, uh, as peace builders, you know, as civil society, we see what is happening in, in the world where, you know, uh, Things happen in the other parts of the world and response by the international community is very quick. You know, they can quickly announce uh, sanctions against uh, certain uh, perpetrators of violence, but not in other places. So, you know, we, we cannot help but discuss this and we have to discuss this and be open about it to the international community, not only with the United Nations, but all the big countries. You know, and it's true that you know everybody has the responsibility towards you know um, other countries. 
is that need uh, humanitarian help, you know, like what is happening now in Pakistan. Do you think it also has something to do, you know, this lukewarm feeling by the international community? Do you think this is also the result because of the recent political issues or the political coup d'etat that has been happening in your country? How is that uh, doing, you know, the, the dynamics of, you know, the, the struggle for uh, your national leadership and in all these conflict issues and this crisis that has been happening in Pakistan? Do you think there, you know, can you tell us like who are the the champions or the leaders that most people in Pakistan really look up to these days? Okay, the answer to your first question, last question I'll give you first. Dr. Aisa, <laughs> Uh, everybody knows, like, you know, I think uh, uh, throb of, I think, majority of the Pakistanis, I will not give the percentage, but majority of the Pakistanis, they look towards him as their savior. They look towards them, they, they feel that he has really, like, you know, awakened them from, for the first time from the slumber that they were in for the last 75 years. And he has shown them the face of the, like, you know, the real face of the, the people who had. Uh, robbed this country of its resources, of its money, and I think of its dignity as well. Now, responding to the other question, we uh, like you know in Pakistan, the common uh, word that is being used for this government, the current government, the current federal government is imported government. It's a coalition of many parties who came together, who outset of uh, Imran Khan, uh, and then of course now they are the ruling parties. And they had, they should, since they have the support of all those countries who are, who maneuver like, you know, politics in the third world countries like Pakistan. So they should have responded immediately to the needs of, of like, you know, uh, Pakistani people because their selected government is in place in Pakistan. But unfortunately, that also did not happen. So that means lesson learned that, a country like Pakistan, which has like, you know, which is rich in human and natural resources. They should have responded well to this humanitarian crisis, to this disaster, because their friendly government was sitting in Pakistan, in the federal capital. Mm -hmm. So uh, the lessons learned, what I'm saying, the lessons learned is that Pakistan is rich in human and natural resources. I think countries like Pakistan should really like, you know, look inside instead of looking outside for any help and support from any international entity or from any like you know foreign uh, countries they should develop their own capacity they should establish their eco economy in a very strong footing so they don't have to ask for any any help from any out like you know from, from any uh, i would say country or agency or, or organization or entity i think this is what we really need to be doing uh, with with a country of 22 million people and and rich in, in resources, uh, that's what I think the lessons learned for all of us is. Yeah, you are right, Musarat. Uh, just like in the work that we do in peace building and conflict transformation, we know that we will not be able to succeed if. Uh, we ourselves as the people from these conflict affected communities don't do it ourselves we don't own it we that's why we have to own it conflict transformation that has to be it has to be moved by the people themselves instead of you know other peace builders or you know other leaders that would come to us 
Right? So before we end, Masarat, I'd like to ask you if uh, you have any advice to young uh, women just like your community, you know, uh, from what you have um, uh, experienced with your own young people in Pakistan, how about giving some advice to other young people who are also listening to our podcast? Because we are, as you said, you know, it's really a good time for us also to bequeath, you know, to transfer our knowledge in uh, peace building to the younger generation. So any advice to the young peace builders of today, Masarat? My advice would be to them would be leave social media, learn in the field, experience like uh, enrich your experience through working in the communities, so that you understand the uh, the various aspects of like you know the conflict uh, in your communities, the issues in your communities, uh, the the needs of the communities, and of course develop the solution uh, the community own uh, developed solution for for the problems and of course like you know any innovative solution that you uh, apply in those communities so when you are working in the communities nobody can challenge your experience then you can put it on the social media but don't become only so social media peace builders be the peace builders in the field be the peace builders where you can really like you know assert yourself where you can influence the mindset where you can actually transform the attitude and behavior of the communities and of course where you can be a role model for others that you can be proud of so i think if you really want to be recognized as a peace builder you really need to be a peace builder in the field not only on the social media thank you you know that's a perfect slogan Mosarat. be a peace builder not on social media but on the field <laughs> That's a perfect slogan for us. Uh, just last point, uh, Monserrat, the term that you use for your youth community is tolana. Is that also uh, a word? Uh, does that mean anything? Tolana? Or is that a project, a name of a project? Just to clarify. Tolana means coming together. We, uh, it's a Pashto word. We could not use this word peace group for them. So we had to, like, you know, take something from our own, uh, like, you know, language. Tolana is a Pashto word, which means together. And that's why, because to avoid any attention of the violent extremism group in our, com uh, in our communities, we came up with a very safe sort of, like, you know, uh, uh, adopted a safe strategy of calling them Tolana so that they are not, uh, you know, attacked or they are there. there is no obstacle to their work in the community from any side, from any quarter. Thank you so much, Monserrat. I've learned very important words today from you. Trust in Pashtun, Pashtun language, you know, and that is really uh, the name, uh, at the same time, that's the name of your organization, the promise for peace, you know, that you've been working so hard. And then the second word is Tolana. Oh, we know that, you know, other societies may not necessarily use the word peace, but tolana for you is very effective because it actually means coming together. And that is a way of demonstrating what peace means to society like Pakistan, tolana as coming together. Okay, thank you so much, Mazarat, for everything that you've shared with us. And we hope that we get to uh, meet you again in our next podcast and maybe meet you face to face. Again, thank you so much, Masarat. And this is She Talks Peace for this week. We hope to see you again next time with Amina Rasul Bernardo. Bye, everybody.
Bye. Bye, Thank Ms. Arad. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikum assalam. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Dr. Asa. Take care. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.